Well, I want to uh, welcome all of you at North Richland Hills campus and at South Lake campus. It's my privilege this weekend to preach at the West Fort Worth campus. And I also want to welcome all of you that watch online. We're in a series titled Unlimited. We're exploring how God led the church past her limitations to become a global movement by looking at Acts chapters 9 through 15. We'll be in chapter 13 in just a moment, so you can be turning there. And we're doing this to get ready for our big harvest weekend. It's just three weeks away now. Our goal is over $2 million to support over 20 missionaries and uh, 10 church plants across the country and around the world. So please be a part of Harvest. Get your kids involved. Get your teenagers involved. Everyone can give and everyone can pray. And almost everyone these days has something that looks like this. A smartphone. And if you've called me before on my phone, you've probably gotten a voice message. And can I be honest? It's kind of boring. And some of you probably suspected it would be. So I've been thinking about looking for a voice message that might be a little more exciting. So I went to the Internet and I found some ideas. I just want to get some feedback from you. Which one should I use? I found one that said, uh, hi, now you say something. Okay, that's short, but that kind of gets to the point. Or I found another that said, uh, I don't need siding. My carpets are clean and I do my charitable giving through my church. If you still want to talk, leave a message. (laughs) That would cut down on a lot of the phone messages that I get. How about this one? You have the right to remain silent, but everything you say from this point on will be recorded. Uh, Maybe that would get to the point. Or how about this one? I can't answer the phone right now because I'm making some changes in my life. If I don't return your call, you're one of the changes. (laughs) Well, you can give me some feedback on which one I should use. But last time we talked about the fact that when we call God, He always returns the call. God always answers Prayer. It may not be what we expected. He might answer with no. But God always answers our calls. But the reverse is not always true. Too often, God's unlimited call to join His mission gets a limited response from His church. And that shouldn't be. And here's why. Every disciple has a call waiting. You see, it's not that Jesus gave a mission to his church. It's not that Jesus built a church and said, now the church needs something to do. I guess I'll send the church into the world. No, Jesus didn't give a mission to his church. Jesus built a church for his mission. Because the mission has always been to reclaim the world for God. And so, any move of God is going to demand movement. And Acts is the story of a church on the move. And in Genesis 13 especially, we have what I would call the Genesis of Christian Exodus. It's the first time a church really does say... What we've got to do in this move of God goes beyond our local community and into the world. 
And God chose the church in Antioch. And I think one reason, as we've already seen, it was the first truly multi-ethnic church. It was the first church where people of all races were welcome. And God chose that church to launch the move of God into the world. It says in the start of chapter 13 that the leaders were all praying together. And look what it says, starting in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Notice those two words. They were called and they were sent. And don't think that the move of God to reach the world started in Antioch. It actually started in Bethlehem. Did you know that Jesus is referred to as sent 44 times in the New Testament? In a few weeks, we're going to have a season we call Advent, the appearing of Jesus. And we celebrate how God sent Jesus to us a horizontal, I mean, a vertical advent. But then that advent becomes horizontal as Jesus sends the church into the world. We, we know the Great Commission of Matthew, go into all the world and make disciples. This is how the Great Commission looks in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Saved people are sent people. You see, the book of Acts is an indictment against stagnant, stuck, settled discipleship. Jesus comes to everybody where they are. But He doesn't let anybody stay there. Think about it. Jesus comes to us where we are, but he says, come, follow me. Now, doesn't that just imply that discipleship is not going to be static? Discipleship is life on the move. And notice that the leadership in Antioch didn't seem surprised by the call. The Holy Spirit said, you set apart Barnabas and Saul for this work I have called them to. And nobody said, hey, we can't afford to send our two best preachers to some other part of the world. Hey, and besides that, that's not in the budget. I mean, who is going to pay for this mission trip? And besides that, and I've heard this a lot, there's plenty of lost people right here in Antioch that still need to be reached. Why should we care about heathen around the world? No, they didn't say any of that. Because they didn't think they were losing Paul and Barnabas. They thought they were redeploying them for this mission to reach the world. Because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't reign in any heart that does not have a heart for the world. And that's why we have Harvest Weekend. That's why we're going to raise over $2 million. That's why we're going to support over 20 missionaries. That's why we're going to start more church plants. And it's not our work. This is God's work. Set them apart for the work 
I have called them to. This is not about the work of the Hills Church. This is at the Hills Church partnering and joining the work of God. In fact, let me show you verse 4. So, the two of them, notice, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, sailed from there to Cyprus. This is God doing the sending. But answering God's call to move. Doesn't mean that the going is going to be easy. Because there's an anti-advent force in the world. And we meet it, or maybe I should say we meet him right away. Look at verse 6 of chapter 13. So they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And the proconsul, an intelligent man... Sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately, mist and darkness came over him. He groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Notice, it was the teaching of the Lord. It was the Word of God that brought him to Jesus. But before he could receive the light, somebody had to dispel the darkness. You see, this call is not limited by demonic opposition. And you've got to understand that when you live on call and when you live on mission for God, you are going to face an enemy. Because Satan is not going to willingly surrender any territory. That he has illegitimately claimed as his own. And missionaries understand this. They understand that to move for God inevitably is to move against the devil. Now, when I say demons, I know some of you are going to raise your eyebrows. But let me say, the Bible talks about demons. And nowhere in the Bible does it say demons are retired. Ask some of our missionaries who have gone to the third world. Ask them if they've ever faced the demonic. Ask them when they've dealt with witch doctors and with uh, people who traffic in darkness. If they haven't seen things that will just uh, make the hair on your neck stand up. Talk to Kyle Kaiser and those of you who've been to Haiti. Kyle just got back with a group from West Fort Worth to Haiti. And he talks about one night being on a roof and listening to the Christians below singing and worshiping God. And just... Off in the hills, you could hear the chants and see the fires and hear the people that were practicing voodoo and worshiping the devil. Now, in our culture, the demons show up in different ways. The Bible talks about doctrines of demons. Every time you hear teaching, and it's all over our culture, that diminishes Jesus, attacks his deity, attacks his sufficiency, attacks his uniqueness as the way to God, you are dealing with the work of of demons. Paul said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against powers of darkness in the cosmic realm. But the good news is that Jesus' death and resurrection has limited 
what the demons can do. When Jesus sent his disciples out on their very first trial run in mission work, the very first time he sent them out in Luke, it says that they came back, chapter 10, verse 17, they returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. That word submit is a military term. It talks about chain of command. In other words, it's not like there's a level playing field and the demons are equal to Jesus. They are under his command. They take orders from him. Jesus said, I am building a church that cannot be limited by the gates of hell. But building anything significant always comes with challenges. So let's keep reading. Verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And from Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Now, those two verses may have seemed pretty innocuous, but they're full of tremendous insight because they tell us that this call is not limited by disappointing circumstances. What disappointing circumstances? You notice that John Mark went home. Why did he leave the trip? Why did he go back to Jerusalem? Was he homesick? Was the grind of the travel and the new cultures and the new foods and the new surroundings, was it just too hard or was it something else? Here's my suspicion. I think Mark got turned off by the Gentile mission. Notice it says he went back to Jerusalem. Now, when they got back from this trip, Paul wrote a book called The Letter to the Galatians because the region they went to is called Galatia. And the reason he wrote the book is because some legalistic Judaizers from Jerusalem had gone up to Galatia after Paul and Barnabas had been there and started telling the Christians they had to get circumcised to be saved. How did those guys in Jerusalem know what Paul was doing in Galatia? I suspect John Mark told them. And it infuriated Paul. It caused a real rift in their relationship later when they went out on their next mission trip and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Paul said, no way. They literally split up. Now, later the rift was healed. But here's my point. When you live on mission for God and when you step out of your comfort zone, there's going to often be relational tension. There's going to be conflict. You talk about anyone who's gone to the mission field and they will tell you that this happens. There's relational challenges living on call and mission for God. There's also physical challenges. Do you notice it says that they went through Pamphylia to Antioch Pisidian? Well, wait a second. Typically, when Paul goes somewhere, he stops to preach. Why didn't he preach in Pamphylia? You know why? He got sick. Most scholars think that he got malaria and he had to go up to a higher altitude in Pisidian Antioch. You see, remember, he wrote this book called Galatians. Here's what he said, chapter 4, verse 13. As you know, it was because of an Illness that I first preached the gospel to you. You see, mission work comes with a lot of challenges, and one of them is physical. Uh, almost all of our missionaries in Africa have had malaria, not once, but a number of times. There's been other diseases they have to prepare for that we don't deal with in our country. They often have to accept a less quality of medical care. This is part of the price of being on call with God. I remember when my wife Jamie was in West Africa at a retreat for missionary women. And she and the Americans were honored one Sunday at the church service. Now, they were having communion and they only had one cup. So everybody was going to drink out of the one cup. And to honor the Americans, they let them go last. 
So Jamie looks around this church and it's filled with these people with all of these diseases. Some are hacking and coughing. Some have open sores. Some have tumors. And the whole time she's praying, oh, God, you're bigger than germs. Oh, God, you're bigger than germs. You see, if you're going to live on call for God, you're going to face some unique challenges. And the call is not going to be limited by those challenges. But that's one reason why praying for our missionaries and our church planners is so important. Okay, listen to me. Last week, I asked you to join me and let's pray for 3,000 hours between now and Harvest Weekend for our missionaries and our church works, our church plants. We've provided a prayer guide that you can join. I logged my first hour. All you have to do is go to the very front page of our website and at the bottom, you can see the place to click for the challenge and to get your prayer guide. I want you to join me. Now, some of you were thinking, I've never prayed an hour in my life. You don't have to. Pray 12 minutes on your way to work every day. And in five days, you've just prayed one hour for our missionaries. And I'm not asking you to do something I'm not going to do. In fact, God convicted me this last week to pray 10. So I'm making a pledge to you. I'm going to pray at least three hours for our mission works for the next three weeks and pray for 10 hours. And I want you to join me in this. And it's going to be an encouragement to our missionaries to know we're praying for their team unity. We're praying for their marriages. We're praying for their physical health. Because living on mission comes with joy, but it comes with tears. And that's especially true in the thing that matters the most, receptivity to the gospel. So they get up to Pisidian Antioch. Paul starts preaching. Look what happens. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they expelled them from their region. And this is not unusual. As you read the book of Acts, you find that whenever Paul goes into a city... Pretty much one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to get run into prison or he's going to get run out of town. And every time he left, he left behind two very distinct camps of people. The people that wanted to welcome in the gospel of Jesus. And the people that wanted to push back. And it's not because Paul preached division. It's because he preached Jesus. And when the gospel is faithfully declared, men divide themselves. What I'm talking about right now is so important. Uh, Again, that very first mission trip when Jesus was sending his disciples out, he was preparing them for this. He was saying, you're going to go into some towns and people are going to welcome you in and you're going to go into some towns and they are going to run you off. And that's when Jesus said, and this is what he means, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, the message of my coming, of my death, my resurrection, my deity, this message is going to divide men. His first coming divided men. And by the way, his second coming is going to divide men. Eternally. 
the gospel has always gotten mixed reviews. You see, it's not limited by difficult people and places. It just keeps going. Whether people want to hear or not, whether people are going to receive or not, this gospel is unlimited. And you might be thinking, okay, you want me to live on mission with God. But if moving means demonic opposition and disappointing circumstances and difficult people and places, why shouldn't I just stay still? Okay, here's the big takeaway. Disciples can't stay where they are if they truly believe that Jesus didn't stay where he was. I want to read to you the sermon that Paul preached. And it's going to be pretty easy for you to figure out what the theme is. He talks about the history of Israel, how everything pointed to a Messiah and that this Messiah's name was Jesus. And in verse 27, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers didn't recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. There are now as witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Now, I get a lot of calls. And sometimes I get a call and think, I don't want to take that call. But let me tell you something. If I get a call from a man who has come back from the dead, I'm taking that call. This call is unlimited because of a death Defying event. I remind you, our faith is not based on a philosophy. It's based on history. Paul preached this sermon just 15 years after the resurrection. Paul said, people who saw him are still alive. Check it out for yourself. And you've heard me say over and over. There are solid, strong, rational reasons to believe in Christianity. Do your homework. Investigate for yourself. The single best Reason to explain the growth of this movement is a resurrection happened. And the God who called his son out of the tomb has called his church to take this hope out to a hopeless world. Paul continues the one whom God raised from the dead. Did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Here's what he's saying. Friend. If Jesus can be free from death, then Jesus can free you from your sins. You can't be free from your sins by being religious. The law of Moses or no other religious system can set you free. But Jesus can. Death couldn't hold Him. And your sins can't keep you from Him. Uh, If you go to Moscow, if you want, with a lot of other people, you can stand in line to see the uh, 
embalmed body of Vladimir Lenin. You see, in the last hundred years, there's been another great move. It's called communism, and he's considered its father. And on that uh, casket, there's an inscription. And here's what it says. He was the greatest leader of all time. He was the Lord of a new humanity. He was the Savior of the world. And I got one problem with that. The dude is dead. I'm sorry, but I need a Savior that can do something about the grave. I believe Jesus has clearly distanced himself from anybody else that ever claims to speak for God by coming out of that tomb. And God is calling some of you right now to receive this good news. There's no one like Jesus. And when you unite with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, when you get baptized like you've seen so many people do lately, and you accept this good news, you can be forgiven of all of your sins. I'm asking, I'm begging you, friend, be in the camp of the people that receive the good news. And some of you need to do that. And the rest of us, we need to share that. And so let me ask you, are you answering the call? I like this next illustration because my own daughter is a nurse. And so uh, Julie Strone is a nurse. And it was her wedding day. She's from Pittsburgh. She had just walked out of the church. They were having a reception. She was walking down the sidewalk. And a lady has passed out and she's on a bench. And Julie kicks into action. She kicks off her shoes. She stops everything, rushes over there to that bench. She administers CPR. She stays with the woman while 911 is called and the ambulance comes. And she saves her life. Now, was there not maybe just this one day in her life where she could have said, I got something else to go to. I got something else to do. But here's the thing. If you're a nurse, you're never off duty, are you? And if you're a disciple... You were always on call. Every disciple is on call. But here's the problem. Every day I get a lot of calls. And what we have to decide is what call are we going to answer first? Our hobbies call, our jobs call, our friends call, politics calls, economy calls. And what happens is that we start answering all these other calls. And instead of living for a calling, we settle for a living. That's right, we settle. We settle for a static life of just seeing how soon we can pay off a mortgage and how long we can put off a funeral. God's calling us to something bigger, something harder. And something so much better. Have you answered the call? So, I'm going to close with this story. A lot of you will recognize these two figures if you like football. The running back is named Floyd Little. He was an All-American at the University of Syracuse. He went on to play for the Denver Broncos. He was a great, great player. And he was a tough guy. He wasn't a big guy. 
But his reputation was every time you tackled him, he'd get right back up because he wanted to send a message to the defense. I'm going to be coming all game long. You can't slow me down. But he admits the hardest he ever got hit was by a Hall of Fame linebacker from the Bears, Dick Butkus. He said Butkus just laid him out one day. But he wasn't going to let Dick Butkus know it. So he popped back up off the field and he said, is that all you got? And Dick Butkus said, Floyd, are you okay? And Floyd Little said, I thought you were a hard hitter. And Dick Butkus said, Floyd, are you sure you're okay? And Floyd Little said, yeah, why do you keep asking me that? And Dick Butkus said, because Floyd, you're standing in the wrong huddle. Well, let me ask you, are you where you're supposed to be? Can you live on mission where you are? Because the call's for everybody. Every disciple has a call waiting. Every disciple is on call. In your community, in your neighborhood, at your job, in your school, can you Live on mission for God. If so, do so. And if not, move. Because you and I were not meant for a limited life. So let me pray for us. Oh God, I do pray that This message will be received with open ears and open hearts. It's so easy, Father, just to start thinking, well, now, living on call, living on mission, that's for special people. That's for other people. But, God, we're all sent. You sent Jesus for us. And he said yes to the call. And now Jesus sends us. He sends us into our neighborhoods. He sends us to our jobs. He sends us to our schools. He sends us to our homes. And so God, help us to answer this call. And help us to be a church that loves and supports those who in particular have answered the call by starting new churches and by going to other countries, learning new languages, facing challenges of school and sickness and distance from loved ones. We pray and lift them up, God. We pray that we can hear the Spirit say, Come and join the work of God. May we answer and say yes, God, with our money, with our prayers, with our time, most of all, with all of our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen.